It's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast with host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked. On Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, hello and welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and today I have with me the Honorable Daniel Rickman, City of Columbia Mayor. As you know, this month what we're doing is going back talking to um people that we've actually interviewed during the process of the campaign, some that we didn't get an opportunity to, but now we're talking about now that you're in office. So, Mayor Rickerman, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, ma'am. Thank you for having me. Hey, I appreciate you taking time out your busy schedule. So, wanted to talk with you today about now that you're the mayor. Um, Previously, you were on city council, and so now we know that you have changed seats. You're the mayor now. So let's talk about that a little bit. Well, I, I will tell you, you know, um, City of Columbia is a weak mayor system, so a lot of people think it's a, it's it's just real easy to transition because you've been there. But I will tell you, it's a different vantage point when you're in that office every day, meeting with people and talking with people, and we do all day long. My schedule stays packed with meeting with constituents, businesses, people who have problems with the system, everything from water to repair work, but also people who are sharing ideas. And we did things here in the first eight months. We we met with uh, probably 65% of the employees at the, at, at the city and oh, wow. really with the folks who are down, uh, all, the guys who are out and the women who are out in the field every day and listen to them, one, to learn about, hey, I want to know what y'all think. And, you know, obviously there were things of discussion from pay to ideas how to improve the way we operate. Okay. Um, and so I'm hoping that we can do this every six months and, and stay involved because some of the best ideas have come from the folks who are in the field every day. Absolutely. And, and when you're not there all day long, you don't see the same thing they do. And these are our ambassadors. You know, one of the things that we really pushed in this year's budget is to invest in the city, technology, training, you know, doing the things that we can improve because for us, we're in the customer service business. But if we're not giving you the tools and the ability to do your right. job, how do we expect you to do your job? Exactly. Um, I'm very excited. I think I have the best job in America. I love waking up every day and and, and going to work. Every day, it, to me, is positive because I think Columbia has so much potential. I don't think we've lived up to our potential. And uh, I have to give a shout-out to Mayor Steve Benjamin to thank him for what he's done. He's he's made sure that I've been introduced to a lot of other mayors who have been great uh, resources. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I discovered is all the challenges that we have aren't new challenges. So a lot of people have spent money and time and effort gathering information and they're willing to share it so it's really saving us time to address issues you know and obviously you know for us you know having a beautiful clean city but an opportunity for anybody to start a business Mm -hmm. we want to make sure their jobs here we probably got more jobs than we've ever had before 
in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I'm hoping we get more people back to work. Um, but also taking the time to understand how do we grow the small businesses here, even the city. We're, we're 500 people short at the city, but I also see it as an opportunity to help fill some of those gaps with some small businesses because the more we can spend locally mm-hmm. and grow those businesses, the better off we are because they're going to grow here. They're going to hire here. They're going to reinvest here. And guess what? They're going to give back. Right. And I think that's an important part. You know, one of the life lessons I learned from my mom when I had to go away to school as a single mom, I, I had to go away because of, of learning disabilities. And she said, you have to work hard. Every challenge, every hurdle is an opportunity. Don't look at it any other way. And when it's all said and done, make sure you give back. And so Absolutely. I've been trying to live by that. Uh, very excited about all the things that are going on. We've had 42 businesses open up this year. Doesn't count the 37 that opened in here. I'm talking right. about physical locations. So think about that. 77 businesses that have either relocated in this city, opened up, started here, and we're just in the beginning. But taking those hurdles out of the way is what we're trying to do. But also at the same time, deal with the challenges that we all know we got. We got a housing crisis. You know, we've got to deal with that. We got a, we got a tax problem. We've got to figure out how to levelize the tax so everybody is on on equal footing. And I think if we can make everything a level playing field, it gives people opportunity who who want to have it. And I think it's very important that we highlight businesses, especially businesses started by by founders, so that people see, yes, I can do that too. Right. There is opportunity mm-hmm. here. And so you see a lot. We are trying to highlight businesses and individuals and, and really make people connected, I think, is what our goal is. We we adapted the theme open for business. I was getting ready to say that. <laughs> open for business, but open for ideas and innovation and mm-hmm. open arms. And uh, I think we're, we continue to do that. Are we there that? No. Uh, there are a lot of the challenges that we have to do, but we're – we're trying some different things, which I think is great. Well, that's absolutely good. And what you're saying kind of segues right into um, one of the questions that I wanted to to ask you, well, to actually kind of talk about. So in the beginning, we know after the election, you know, looking at the numbers, it looked as if the city of Columbia was very divided on who they wanted as a mayor. And so we have to all work past that. Whatever mayor that we get, you know, you're here, you're the mayor. So how do we move forward? And so my question to you is, after seeing those numbers, um, how do you move forward to bridge that gap so that people will know that you are the mayor for the residents of the city of Columbia? You're here for everyone. Well, I think it's the part of our engagement, what we've been doing, you know, staying engaged with different folks, but also tackling those age-old problems that we talked about. So, you know, to give you an example, you know, one of the things that we really, as we talk about affordable housing, we have to approach it in different different manners because it's not only affordable but attainable. We want more home ownership. You know, we've got less than 46% home ownership in the city of Columbia. And part of that is, so how do we help people make that transition? Well, we own 19 lots, to give you an example, in a neighborhood. Twelve of them are buildable. We have worked it out with a mortgage company and a builder to build those houses. And we're going to segue people into home ownership. Smaller houses, 1,000 to 1,200 square feet, houses that are manageable, affordable, 
in town because one of the things we got to grow is our in town um, in neighborhoods. But we also got to tackle the other issues of, you know, our biggest uh, need for the next probably 10 years are going to be baby boomers, single moms who kids aren't at home anymore, and millennials don't want big spaces and small spaces. So what do we not have a whole lot of? We don't have a whole lot of duplexes, townhomes, quadruplexes, other things where people can be an investor, owner, renter. We, everything we've geared to is single family. We have to have a balance. And so as we challenge that, we also have to say, well, all right, one of the things we've got to tackle is the 5,000 people who are waiting for at the housing authority in line and supporting Ms. Bean, who I think is one of the the best things that's happened to Columbia, to be honest with you, the new director of the Housing Authority, about working with the private sector and how we can bolster more housing opportunities in town to make sure that people, one, stay in the neighborhoods where they feel comfortable and their support is, but also close to jobs and to the resources. And then we got to tackle the issues of, we've talked a lot about food deserts, we've talked, but we haven't talked a lot about medical deserts. We haven't talked about service deserts. And so as we start to look through these neighborhoods and traditionally that have not had the investment, well, what can we do? Well, there was a plan done in 2004. It was called the East Central Plan. It's been in, on a shelf at City Hall. We, we never had the money at the time, but now we have an opportunity. We're gearing up to apply for a choice neighborhood grant for up to $35 million to jump that, start that, along with bringing institutional investors together so that we can fundamentally change an area and with investments with retail um, multifamily but also single family sidewalks i'm applying for uh, public art grants and green space uh, grants so that we can go into the neighborhood because we took 68 condemned houses this summer we are tearing down but we want to rebuild in those neighborhoods we don't want those lots to stay empty and mm -hmm. be barren but can we do things to help attract people to rebuild and incentives? How can we help people build back up and 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 help them get get our neighborhoods? You know, we're putting community promotions back where neighborhoods or different organizations can apply for funding for small projects, if it's beautification or an after-school program, and trying to build up that pot. We used to have it years ago, and it kind of went away, and we're trying to bring it back. How can we leverage all the opportunities? So one of the things that we did at the cities, we recognized we don't have the staff mm -hmm. capability to apply. All the money you hear about at the federal level, the majority of that is application-based. So we put out an RFP, and we're hiring a multitude of consultants to help us take plans like East Central or go after opportunities with the Department of Energy to redo our hydro plant or go in for infrastructure grants because a lot of it's grant-based so that we can take advantage of everything that's out there mm -hmm. and leverage that because I do think for the next three to four years, this is probably money that we'll, we'll never see again, mm -hmm. even at the state level. And how do we make an impact in our community? And, and when we talk about that, I mean, it is really about our entire community. And we've got some neighborhoods that, that honestly, we haven't put enough investment in over the years that we, we've, got, we've got a target. And we've got to be creative. Mm -hmm. The one thing I had an opportunity to meet with a small group of mayors at the White House and spend some time with the, um, 
different secretaries was listening to them. One, that's why we're hiring all these consultants because they're like, look, you have to be prepared. There's too much. And if you're not prepared, you're, you're missing opportunities. The second part to that is how are we creative when we ask for money? You know, because there are different ways to ask for different out of different pots that could be beneficial. You know, working with our comment, you know, every time we have an opportunity to, to relocate a bus stop or add a bus stop, the comment can help pay for all the sidewalks. So some of the challenge areas that haven't gotten a sidewalk in years, like Arden in front of Arden Elementary, they, they don't have a sidewalk for all the kids. So what, how, how can we help do that by leveraging different federal fundings and programs? Really trying to be creative and say, all right, we, these are impacts that we've got to make. Um, so there's a lot going on. Yeah. A it lot. Sounds, it sounds like it. Well, you, you said one thing that is definitely going to segue into um, a couple of questions that I yes, have for you. And so we all know that North Main coming off of 20, that is the gateway to the city. Um, and you mentioned about affordable housing. And as we know, affordable housing, we know marketing term is still low-income housing. And so we talked about, you know, you discussed about making, you know, just changes We're changing over, the narrative overall. Attainable. You can say affordable, attainable, but if that <laughs> income is still the same as what it is, it is still low-income. You know, we, we, can, we can do tomato, tomato. But well, I got corrected by somebody in the neighborhood out there. Please don't use that term anymore. At, at the end of the but it, it is what it is. I yes, mean, and it's, it's a reality. It's a true fact. Yep. And the unfortunate piece to this is when we look and we go and look at the numbers, um, you can go to different websites and see, the affordable housing, the attainable housing, or low income, however we want to categorize it, you're finding that more in that 203, 29203 area code. When we looked, and I think some of it was kind of duplicated on some of the numbers, but there were like 11 there. So if we're going to do this and we're looking at the city as a whole, why are we not spreading this around. I mean, you look at downtown where all of this area was torn down. Why are we not building back some of the attainable, affordable? Why is it not going back there? So the issue, as I'm talking about with North Main, that property, we're talking about an area that has houses that was built 60s, Mm -hmm. early 60s, some 70s. These are older communities. And so to now place 288 units here, the community really can't take that blow. Why Why would it not be better to put something there for some of the older residents, the aging residents that we have here versus putting 288 units? There's only one neighborhood grocery store. That's Piggly Wiggly. Um, there are no, as you say, the medical deserts. There, there's nothing there. And then here's the whole other impact. You have two elementary schools there. Neither of those schools can take on more children. So, you know, I think that it should have been more of a conversation with the community about what was going to go there because initially what was said, um, this would have been back, gosh, I don't want to misquote, but I want to think 2018, 2017, there was conversations about bringing more shops in um places where restaurants, where people can eat, which would benefit the city of Columbia tremendously because you're talking about 
Now people can exit off of 20, coming into the gateway. You can go over here and get some food. You can sit. You can shop. That would have brought a lot of money back. But I just feel that it is a disservice to an older community to place all of that impact there. I, I don't see what it will actually help the community. You unpacked a whole lot in that statement. <laughs> so let me let me let me back up and then I'll get to the Mason Road because that's the project you're mentioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, we're looking at projects and uh, one of the projects that the Housing Authority, which is not a City Columbia, the Housing Authority runs separately, but the uh, the rebuilding of Allen Benedict, they're having some public hearings now about how that's going to be real bringing residents back downtown. I'm a big proponent that we have to have a tower downtown. One of the ideas that we're kicking around as we redo Finley Park is to build uh, a mixed housing complex at Finley Park. I'd like to see a tower there so we have people who can take advantage of the park and be downtown. Mm -hmm. We absolutely have to start doing projects that are workforce housing, obtainable housing, or whatever throughout the city. We also... We at the city have gone up on minimum wage. We're at 14.50 most places today because of the competitive nature up. So we're at a little bit of different place than we were almost a year ago, let alone two years ago mm-hmm. during the pandemic. So there are a lot of moving parts going on, and I 100% agree with you. A lot of what we're looking at rebuilding is single-family house to balance some of, of as you mentioned, the 11 projects. Um, that that are out there that are uh, tax credit projects that are in um, 29203 where we've got to do some infrastructure. We're taking the hurdles out of out of the way, like the sewer expansion fee, so that we can have more small businesses grow. So let's go to Waits Road. The, I mean to Mason Road, which is what you were mentioning. So Mason Road got annexed into the city in March of 2021. So a year, they went and got a building permit in May of 2022. That building permit was as of right the way it was zoned, the way it came from the county, and the way it went into the city because they didn't get a rezoning. So by legal right, they're allowed to build those apartments. Now, the question is, is one thing that I haven't heard about these apartments, I never saw an application from anybody about it being a tax credit project. As far as I know, this is a market rate uh, project. But what I do agree with you that's interesting is that there wasn't a lot of combination with anybody in the neighborhood. Now, the original owners, I think, were a family that was in the funeral business. So I think yeah. they're still partners in the project. And I do recall what you're saying because I had several people tell me, and it's been, I think it's almost been five, six, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. Originally, the plan was to make rezone that commercial and try to build more of an off-ramp presence off 20 to help foster business growth down the North Main Corridor. Um, as we know, somebody bought the Eckerds, the old Eckerds there. We don't know what's going there, which is right behind uh, all um, all about wings. No, we call it all about wings. I laugh because they sell everything but <laughs> besides wings, so it always cracks me up when I go there. But that corridor. And I think what we want to really take advantage of is helping in the Wiley Kennedy Foundation. Ms. Singletary has been very uh, vocal and very engaging about, all right, Mm -hmm. well, how do we take advantage of just like this project here that we are in the Midlands uh, place took advantage of? How do we take care, how do we take advantage of abandoned tax credits and other things and leverage it to encourage growth in those corridors? 
you know, into those empty spaces that are there and build. Okay, so it's actually called the Garden Lake um, Apartments, and it is from, it's saying here, 288, and they're going to be three-story um, apartments that's going here, and it is actually, want to see, when we're looking at the income, it is actually considered as, it's low income. Um, but the issue here, and, and I can speak to some of how the community feels about it, is that um, a lot of stuff that was done during that time of COVID, people did not see any type of zoning hearing signs. And so the community felt like they were duped. Like, one minute, this is what we heard from the funeral this is what we wanted to do. So now, that was 64 acres back there. So now you're talking about 32 acres that was purchased by the other people that's this development. I don't know that it had ever sold. Well, that was the question somebody brought up to me because mm-hmm. I, I, I we wouldn't have seen I, I wouldn't have known that. But what it got mm-hmm. is it got annexed into the city back in March of 2021. And that was a unanimous with right. all of you guys on council. And then even with that, why, I don't know what, like what made the city council want to annex that piece into the city. Hopefully to have more growth on on the North Main Corridor, but at that time nobody presented any plans because they didn't even come to the to the city to get plans that fit in that criteria. So I think one of the things that we're trying to do for the, the neighborhood is we're getting a map done. Uh, Wiley Kennedy Foundation Singletary asked me, and we're doing a map of the whole area. Mm-hmm. So everybody can see exactly what the zoning is so they know what can be built there as of right. So as things come down the pipe, mm-hmm. people are more prepared. Because I think that's the biggest piece is people thought one thing was coming and well, something we, we else were came. Due. We were due because here it is, there was some more meetings you, in, in 2021. I mean, we the community wasn't aware. So this is a time when you But people COVID. did come. I wonder how many that y'all actually had there because... I, I um, have to go pull it because yeah, we, hey, that's a long time ago. Yeah, well, yeah well, we may need to pull that, I mean, so that we can know because there was not a lot of people. And I do know of someone who said that they did actually go because they asked for a height extension, a height extension. This, this garden community... Um, project, they ask for the height restrictions to be lifted. Well, and they and they, and they were approved. Well, they had they would have had to go into Boza to do that. That wouldn't have been part of the annexation, and we didn't change the zoning. The zoning's the same as it's always been. Mm-hmm. So because you have in zoning, you have their different rights for different things, and and I shared. I, I wish I had the documents with me, but I shared all the information with. Uh, and that's why I was just looking for it because I do yeah. have I do have some. some yeah, of that I got whatever the city had. I shared with uh, Miss Singletary and the group that came to meet with me because I felt like they needed to see everything. Yeah. So they had it. Um, yeah. Um, but we do know that the height actual restriction that that they they requested for, um, for the height I guess to be expanded that was actually done. Um, I have to go back and look because yeah. that, that to me would have had to go on. If you're changing the height restriction in an area, you have to get that approved by another board. I don't recall them ever having to go. So we'll, we can well, check we can in on that. that. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, we can revisit that. And Absolutely. whatever you find out, I'll, I'll make sure I update. Yeah, once you share it with me, I'll update it for the listeners to hear. Um, 
But I feel like this wasn't a thought out plan because what are we going to do? And I'm pretty sure that if you pull the principal from Greenview, you pull the one from John P. Thomas, um, even the school board can speak to that. That is going to create a, a situation. Yeah, I think, you know, look, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you got investment and you're getting density, which helps us get other businesses because businesses aren't coming out there if we don't want to create more density, which means housing and people living there. That's part of why we have the issue that we have. We've lost a significant population, and the majority of our empty lots and so forth are in those two corridors. If you go from Monticello Road, you go up North Main, out, we're having that issue. So we get, so we got to have a balance there, you know. But what kind of businesses are actually going to come when they look at, because now they're able to see the income margin of what's going on here, what type of businesses are we really going to get? We do not need another dollar store over there. We don't need um, any more blood plasma banks. We don't need any more alcohol oh, we need, sales. But we need but physical, we need, physical therapy. We need we an do. urgent care, which then gives us more numbers to go after right. the urgent care. And these are conversations that we're in now. We're mm-hmm. having conversations about, all right, look, we need an urgent care. One of the things that I noticed in that corridor is we need, we need a physical um, therapy place mm-hmm. because people are having to go downtown. You know, how do we deal with, we need more dry cleaners, we need more banking options. Grocery store, it's all about density. You can listen to every story in America will tell you it's about density and everything. So it's the balance. How do we encourage that? Well, part of it is is us investing in the corridor. What we've talked about is how do we make sure that, I met with DOT last week because one of the things that I filmed and brought to the meeting was coming in Monticello Road and coming in North Main and showing all the overgrowth, Mm -hmm. that the stripes, everything striped. I said, here are two gateways into my community, let alone the others, which I haven't even gone and done two knots yet. Mm Let alone what, what they're doing here. Look, folks, we've got to work together. So the county, the city, and the, and the DOT are coming together. Because 492 miles of road in the city of Columbia, 71% is controlled by DOT. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it depends on them. But we're willing to invest along with them, and the county is too, that we can address this. Because what's important is if our corridors are clean, cleaned up, striped, and good repair, that also helps us attract. The other thing that we're doing is also making sure everybody understands their responsibility. If you're a property owner, you go all the way to the curb. doesn't matter if there's a sidewalk in between. And so we're going to cut and do what we can, but it's going to be your responsibility because all these things help us. Um, you know, looking at how do we grow that, take those empty buildings and identify all them. What can we do to incentivize somebody to open a restaurant there and a business there? Before, one of the things that we saw and learned on the Farrell Road was the sewer expansion fee was preventing people from turning an old retail space into a restaurant space because without the credit for the grease trap right. and the sewer expansion fee, people were somewhere between thirty and $40,000 before they even got their permit. So what's their first thing? Um, I'm out. Yeah, I mean, because you, you, you can't afford it. And one of the things, I, I want to go back to this just for one second. Yes, ma'am. Um, we need to look at the fact that you also have a firehouse right across, that's all right there in that area where you're talking about DLT. And I, I just say again, I just, you know, even if we could get them to utilize that as multi-use, like mm-hmm. how you said, versus just all low income, that meet us somewhere halfway. I mean, we know at this point that it's a done deal. But 
meet the community somewhere halfway? Why can't we make it where it's multifamily use versus just the whole 288? Well, see, that's what I'm trying to figure out because they don't, as far as I know, they didn't get any credit from the housing, uh, state housing or anybody else. That's that's what's interesting because I haven't, normally we get a notice of that. So as far as I know, this is market rate unless we can find it a difference. I know I see yeah, you showed me yeah, the sheet. Yeah, That's why I'm curious not. to find out because, you know, the the state caps the four and the nine percent. So I'm curious, you know, we where, need to where find they out. Get. We need to find out, Mary, because there's a huge breakdown here. I mean, and we're seeing documents, and this is what has the community in the uproar. We're seeing documents that saying one thing and we're being told something else, and so. It doesn't send a good message, and I just don't think that this was very well thought out or it was more so that people just didn't care, but it goes back to the concern of, as we know, the more affordable housing, lower incomes that you have in one particular zip code, it changes even your insurance rate. So you look at, well, you give the insurance company that you're in 29203, your rate is going to be higher than what it would be in 29201. Well, you got new construction, so I don't know that that plays the same uh, play in that because new construction does play uh, plays in a different as you get to a rate and levelizes out. I, you know, like I said, this is unfortunately, it's a double-edged sword. There's good things about it and there's bad things. I think the majority of it is, is really communication from the people who own the property. And, and well, we're asking to try to get them into talks with us, and we're hearing that the owner is saying that he's not coming to sit down in a meeting with us so that he can get beat up. We're not trying to beat you up. No, just but what we're asking what's going is on, be a absolutely. community partner. So that in itself says that he doesn't want to be a community partner. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, we're, we're gonna we're gonna need your help on this. I, I don't I'm know. Let's dig see in if a you, bit. yeah, and let's see if maybe you can talk to him and have him to come in. And to meet with the community, so that out. we can, so that we can have that conversation. Yes, ma'am. But in the other side of it too, we just want everybody to know that all affordable housing doesn't have to come in the two nine two zero three. We want to see what the city can do to spread that around. Well, I think what our 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 position is is to make sure that we have options in every community because one of the things that that we've heard a lot, especially with ABC being torn down, Allen Benedict. A lot of people were moved all over uh, the city and the county, <clears throat> but their their home base is there. And one of the things that we we really want to address and stress to Columbia Housing Authority too is, you know, Arrington Manor, which is right there at Martin Luther King Park, and Oak Reed, which is right downtown, right near this property as we're talking about. We need to rebuild those facilities. That they're outdated but we don't need to move people out of that community. We need to keep people in those communities. And I think smaller projects, more spread out, mixed use, where we have mixed income and possibly Mm -hmm. home ownership. I think what you're going to see with the plan with Alan Benedict, there's a senior component, there's a a housing assistance program, and there's a market rate. And I Mm -hmm. think that's the way we got to start approaching things where we have a combined, and we also need to make sure that we're helping people because I think one of the moments that was kind of eye-opening for me was talking to a lady who had been displaced from Alan Benedict and said, I've lived here for 40 years. And I'll be quite honest, it made me feel like we failed as a community because Mm -hmm. We shouldn't have anybody living there for, for, for 40 years. Absolutely. We, need, we need to be doing everything we can, if it's jobs, if it's safety, if it's fair housing, you name it, mm-hmm. home ownership programs. Mm-hmm. 
we're, I mean, we're looking at everything. When I look at our HUD spending, you know, we spend more than our sister cities to do projects. And so we're digging in that. Why does it cost us more to help with home repairs and help with home ownership compared to Charleston and Greenville? And the reason I use Charleston and Greenville because they get the same allotment that we do. Okay. So it's a balance. But they're they're making significant larger moves in getting people and more housing completed. So why is that? And so some of that's internal, looking at ourselves, going, we got to do a better job here. We got to stretch those dollars. But also think creating partnerships. And I think one of the things that we as a community can do continue to do better is collaborate more, work with more folks, and leverage our dollars. So I'm excited about what we can possibly get from the federal government that we can leverage with the private sector to tackle these problems. Because, I mean, right now, I think we're going to need somewhere between 12 and 18,000 units over the next decade mm -hmm. to, to really tackle the housing crisis. You know, if we can levelize the tax field, I mean, think about if we could bring commercial and rental property taxes down to a homeowner level. Now, somebody said to me, well, you can't make somebody reduce rent. The landlords will get, get rich. But if we create an environment that creates more competition, that's how you suppress those type of numbers. It's creating. But if we're only getting the same, same developers, then why, they're not going to go down. But if we're creating more competition and we're levelizing, but that also helps the small guys. Think about how much air property or somebody's second lot or like some retirees that said, we, we're thinking about selling our, our apartments. We have four sets of apartments, but the taxes have gotten so high that three and a half months of the rent we collect is what goes to pay the taxes. So we can't reinvest in the properties like we're, we're having to go up on rent. So if we can levelize that, does that create a better experience? Well, can we have better quality Units. Can we make sure that our neighborhoods are safe? Now, some of those things are on us, okay? Mm -hmm. Not just taxes. So we need to make sure that we have the lighting and sidewalks right. and all of this. So the more funding opportunities we can to take care of those infrastructures, the better off we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I want to ask about this, too, and I kind of hit on when I talked about the schools. And I want to know what is your thought or have – you and the council members, have y'all discussed anything maybe trying to partner with or meet and talk with the school board? Um, because if we're looking at how to better the community and, you know, the residents, I think that that will, what are your thoughts on that? I think it will go hand in hand. Um, I think what we, we want to try to do too is, is I've had some conversations with a couple of the school board members already, but I think what we want to try to do is bring representatives from the county, the city, and the school board together and say, all right, we fundamentally have some root cause issues here and we got to work together. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and it's everything from making sure that people have great housing, but they're also getting a great education. They're getting Absolutely. an opportunity that we're we're addressing some of the other issues. Because let's face it, a, a big portion of our shootings right now are kids between 18 and 24. All right, in our community at 18 and 24 that aren't going to college, that aren't taking advantage of free tuition at Midlands Tech. 
But are there other things we can do? Christy Savage and uh, Mr. Day and some uh, Jennifer Cunningham and some other community members are working on an incubator that we've been helping kind of get jump started and bring in some partners in to kill the, create a skilled training. But right now there's so many jobs open that our first attempt is let's help people. Regina Williams and the folks at St. John's are working to put people, they got a grant this summer to help kids and they're doing things to help people get ready to go get a job. But then we've, we've got to tackle it. So we got to hit it from multiple sides. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You know, and how do we support? There's so many programs you can support, but how do you support them all? Well, we can't do it all. Government can't do it all. Right. It'll fail, I hate to tell you. Everybody thinks government hears us help them. We usually cause more problems than we solve. But can we help coll collaborate? Can we help the business community find ways to support? If it's supporting books or after-school programs mm -hmm. or technology, you know, I ran into Amazon uh, representative, and I said, look, I, we've got all these pros. They said, we'd love to help. Write it all up and send it to us. You know, talk to it. He said, nobody's talked to us and asked us to participate. Well, then you wow. start thinking about Apple, Google, and Microsoft all have major investments in South Carolina. If it's software warehouses or whatever, mm -hmm. um, how do we work with them to get technology equipment? Think about all the refurbished items that they have right. if they're disposable. How can we get that, get those to communities to, to help? Mm -hmm. You know, so there are a lot of things that we're doing but don't happen overnight, but we got to continue to be creative. Right. And sometimes it's not about money. And I think a lot of people always ask folks for money. But like we had a business guy, so uh, James Sanders this summer, we, we, we got him a grant to help kids clean up their neighborhood. It was a way for them to earn money, mm -hmm. gives them something to do in the afternoon. And what, what we were hoping is, is that it shows them, hey, I can make money. This is how I can save to buy what I want. But at the same time, I'm lifting up my community. That's right. Well, I was telling the story that, 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 you know, we were working on this program and I couldn't wait to see the results of it in the summer and hear about how many kids were able to do it and the effect it had. And this, this gentleman said, he goes, if you have success and you can show me that kids were participating, I'll donate a trailer with a pressure washer, weed eaters, blowers, and mowers so that the kids can help the seniors in their community and I'll help subsidize money so they can earn a stipend. And I'm like, this is great. This right. is what we want to happen, you know. But this is about us having conversations. Absolutely. And it goes back to what you were asked earlier. How do you bring everybody together? Well, we sit at the table. We share ideas. Mm -hmm. And we try to do something different than what we've done before because we're at a different time. Mm -hmm. We're at a different place. And things may have worked 20 years ago. They don't work today. So what do we do different? Let's try something different. And if we can pilot programs mm -hmm. and see that we're making a difference, then that's how you build them up into a full functioning. Um, but sometimes everybody thinks, oh, we just got to do this grand plan. Well, grand plans, we got to prove to people we can make, make it work. Absolutely. And I can say I know that the Wiley Kennedy Foundation, I know you've referenced them a lot. Um, well, they were just with me. <laughs> right. But um, they have a cybersecurity course program. It's free. They even give you a computer. So that's something that I'll make sure I reach out to um, Ms. Singletary as well about maybe with dealing with um, Apple, Google, because maybe that can be a way that they can donate some of their refurbished. And you never know if they may be able to pick some of those 
participants up and put them right to work. I met a gentleman, and I wish I had his card with me so I could remember his name. I met mm-hmm. him the other morning. I went to do a breakfast program with Perry Bradley and the BBC, and I met a gentleman there who's teaching kids how to drone. Was it? Um, I can't think was of it, it. Was it Taz Little? Because he has a program where they can go through. Um, it's a weekend course as well, and they're actually in some of the schools in South Carolina. It's called AI Nautics. It may be, but I don't think yeah. it was Taz that I was talking to. But okay. I could be well, wrong. Well, he's he's one of the part part of the owners, but um, but talking and God, I can't believe they I'm actually they're in in the different schools in South Carolina. They're in Florence. There are some schools in Lexington as well. And this is a great program it is. because they're, I mean. And they can yes. become pilots. I actually just took the course. Did you really? I took it last weekend. <laughs> I sure did. But I was like, you know, you forget that technology like that today creates opportunities for folks. And you don't think about, you know, here's somebody who's got a course that somebody can go get a certificate. That means they could go work for a cyber company. They could work for GSI for a Absolutely. city. They could go for Google. Water departments. Even realtors now are using drone footage yeah. to sell. Yeah, well, so are um, farmers yep. to spray their crops. So, I mean, the potential is unlimited when it comes to the drones. Um, I mean, you could look at where it could be to a point to where zoning could actually use those as well because a lot of the things they see, if it's the same information that you would get, I think what is it, a system GIS or whatever, hey, what's happening in the Google, man, you fly the drone across and you can see what all is going on. And it's not that you are infringing on people's privacy because that, that will become another one. But there's laws and there's information out there about that, um, that it could be a benefit. It could be a benefit to the community. It can be a benefit to the property value. You know, if you can see what's going on and, hey, you know, we need you guys to straighten so Even up. law enforcement today is utilizing. They so. are. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to hire something. By the way, anybody interested in uh, applying to uh, work at the city police department, we have about 100 positions open. We'd love to have you. <laughs> great opportunity, and, and we can work together to, to, to keep our community safe. Yeah, well, it, it was going to take the grassroots effort um, and the encouragement and actually bridging that gap with the community so that the children are not always looking at the police from a from a bad standpoint, but to see that hey, they can come into the community and work with the community. So it's it's going to take some grassroots there in order to get people to even want to fill those positions. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of work to do, but it's doable. Here's the thing: more people, sit, I sit down with people every day, and everybody wants to help, and everybody's finding a role. But people are also starting to grasp that we need to collaborate and bring groups together if we really want to make an impact. And I think that's what's great. The beauty thing about Columbia is, is we're like an open canvas. We have so much opportunities for everybody. I don't care where you live or what business you're in or, or where you went to school. You have an opportunity here. Mm-hmm. We just got to share that information and continuing to get communication out sitting down with people and opening up doors because sharing ideas and sharing opportunities creates more opportunities. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're definitely, um, in order to unite, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us. Um, You know, one thing that I always say is we can elect people in, 
but I think we do them a disservice because we elect you in and we expect for you to do everything. But how often do we come back and say, how can I help? What is it that I need? Because you need those ideas. Um, you need input from your constituents, you know, to know what's going on. And we have to do a better job, the community, in taking ownership to want to help. We just can't vote you in and leave you there. Well, and it's, it's a two-way street. We have to communicate with each other. Absolutely. And, you know, today I had Karen Jenkins in, uh, and Karen and I were talking about, you know, what are roles, what what could she do to help, mm -hmm. and as her role as vice president or vice chair of our minority business council, she's like, what can I do? I said, help us fill the gap. We spend millions of dollars every year. Help us fill the gaps where we can fill it with small businesses that are here. We want the money to stay here. You know, it's great the city made a, a, a commitment several years ago to 15% of all contracts going to minority or disadvantaged businesses. But if we're going to Maryland to fill the gap, that doesn't solve it. we got to fill the gap here. Mm -hmm. And so one of the challenges is we need a better list of businesses and services that could be provided to the city. Right. So that you yeah. don't have to go somewhere else. You can see what you have right here. And in how we're filling those voids. But, you know, that's that's a good example of somebody coming to the table and saying, hey, what can I do to help? And that's what we want to do. But it's both of us. Well, what can we do for you? How do we help your business grow? Right. You know, that's a question that doesn't get asked a whole lot. How do we help? And I think what we're trying to constantly do is highlight people and businesses because we have a great story to tell in Columbia. Right. And the one thing we haven't done a good job is, is tell our story. There's secrets behind every neighborhood and every door that when you find out, you're like, oh my, I didn't know about your business. I didn't know that. Right. I learned about a business the other day. Been here for 28 years. Never heard of them. They hire. They have. Uh, they have 288 employees. They're worth a billion dollars, and they're in downtown Columbia. I'd never heard of them before. Oh, wow. But also met a great lady who's been making pastries and stuff out of her house, and now has is gone into a contract kitchen, and she's growing. Mm -hmm. But I I love her story because it came out of passion. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's where a lot of businesses come from. It's out of passion. It's sometimes it's out of a tragedy that has happened that has now brought something to light. Pressure Points Unpacked podcast Yep. from tragedy, you know. So um, one of the things I wanted to ask you too, didn't get a chance to get, is what is your position on gun violence and what's being done? So gun violence and shootings, as you know, in our community have been up. Luckily, murders have <laughs> have been down, but we still having an issue. We're working on a, a, a an office of gun violence prevention, um, having conversations at the federal level and understanding that we really need a standalone office and we're going to make it happen through hopefully with council support. I've been working on, um, I've connected with serve and connect and other people about, we're going to create an office of gun violence. We're going to hire a, a, a person to help direct, but, build ambassadors to leverage some of the DOJ grants that are out there to really help us target. Because, you know, it's unfortunate when somebody pulls up a zip code, they make an assumption. But when you look at that zip code, you really dial down to the pressure points. There are only certain parts to make sure we can get ambassadors and how we could leverage, but creating a community board, you know, putting, putting out a job description or an RFP, because it may be a nonprofit that we partner with to help 
help really do that, but really community outreach because we need the church involved. We need civic leaders involved. Um, it, it Curb the Violence is the program that Charlotte's really adapted. It's community-based. Law enforcement has a role, but it's a, it's a minor role, and it's really community-based. But we got to have the crisis. we got to have mental health clinicians involved in Absolutely. that discussion. How do we de-escalate things yeah. before they happen? Different programs, there's so many things going on, but we need an office that can work and collaborate with the multiple groups to help. We need to support, you know, some of these after-school programs, you know. But we also got to leverage conversations about what can we do legally with the state keeps us from a lot of a lot of laws and and making decisions about how we can govern because we can't do anything that supersedes them. So how do we, A, let's start enforcing all our laws first. Um, we do have a judicial issue because a lot of these offenders are repeat offenders. And I'm not talking about one-timers. I'm talking about people that are five, six, seven, eight times and still out. And that's what I've heard from some of the community folks telling me, you know, hey, you know, we're not going to come out against this person because we think they're going to be back in our doorstep in two days. So we got these multiple challenges that we got to work together. But I also don't want to miss an opportunity for us to leverage programs that make sense. And, you know, we got to start early with kids. Uh, I attended a meeting the other day that uh, Bishop Davis did mm -hmm. um, where he has an animated book and an animated cartoon about don't touch guns. You know, it, stay away. It's not cool. But hitting that segment. But then we got to work with the kids after. And I think some of these programs about being able to employ, um, how do we create more opportunities? How do we show kids that there is another opportunity as a young person? You know, you may be 18. Yes, you, you didn't graduate from high school. But that doesn't mean that you can't take the energy, the creativity, and you're, you're smart and do something. Um, you know, there, there's so many opportunities other cities have already done that we can we can jump on but address it. But we got to have all aspects of the community on. It can't just be one. It can't just be government. It's got to be our, our our churches, our community leaders. Um, we got to dig deep and get the schools and everybody involved. Everybody has a role. Absolutely. And, but it's it's a community-wide issue, as I think, you know, we hear Sheriff Lott and Chief Holbrook say a lot. It's not just today. Absolutely. Absolutely. We got work to do. Yeah, we, we definitely have work to do. Um, I also want to hit on, I see it's, it's popping up in Columbia a lot now. It's probably been there, but you're hearing what people talk about, and I'm sure that it's something that you guys are going to address, which is zoning ordinance. Um, Airbnb. I know there are some people who are totally against the Airbnbs, um, but when you have some neighborhoods where you have um, housing issues, um, and some of them they're turning those into small little Airbnbs, I don't think it's a bad thing because they will be forced to keep it up because they want to get super host. So I don't think that that would be a bad idea. Um, but I think that there are some things that probably need to be addressed in the ordinance before it becomes a really. So I'm a proponent of Airbnbs. I'm with you. I think 
for one, they employ a lot of people. You know, they have, and they're constantly maintaining. Our average stay in Columbia is a lot longer than two nights, which is very interesting because people are utilizing, some people are utilizing it to figure out where they want to live or buy. You have military families. It's a big thing for the military families because the kid, the young soldiers are only allowed so many times off, so they want a place that they can congregate together. And let's face it, if you travel with a family, you don't want to rent three hotel rooms. You want to stay in one place. You don't want to go out for every meal. But we can regulate it in a way just like we regulate long-term rentals. You know, you put a three-strike system in. You require them to register. We make sure we collect the taxes that, that come with that. But we have that system because Airbnb and uh, Verbo have their own internal. Mm-hmm. If you're a bad client, you're not going to rent from anybody else. Well, we need to have the same thing on the other side for the landlord, so Absolutely. the neighbors. And there are ways to do that. Yeah. yeah. And I think we can figure that out. I think there's a balance. Mm-hmm. You know, do do we need to get to the point where there's too many of them? Probably not, but what's that number? We don't know that yet. I think right. first, let's regulate what we have. Absolutely. Let's make it equal to what long-term is. Because um, I've heard from a lot of people who, who have Airbnbs, that's their retirement. Right. Or they inherit the family house, and this is the only way that all of them can agree to to do it. They turned yeah. it into a business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm not against them. I mean, I, I think it's I, I think it's a good thing, but I also think that it's something that before it becomes a problem, we may need to look at some ways that it could be, and then make sure that we cut that off in the beginning, so that we don't have to come back and now deal with it later. It was interesting because there was a city I visited, and every house that was an Airbnb has a little plaque on it. with mm-hmm. a, It's got a letter and a number, and then underneath it, it has a little code number. So they know exactly who the owner is, how to get wow. in touch with them. But if they have any problems, they know exactly how to get to it. But it's all mapped out. You have to register. Everybody's fine with it because they have the three-strike system. You know, look, you know, if you, you've got too many people in the house, you've got too many parties, you get struck. And, and for an owner, he loses that privilege He's losing on a lot of income okay. in the future. And, I mean, I think that's a great preventative measure right there. I mean, and, again, just like you said earlier, we do not have to reinvent the wheel. There is so much information out there. Um, and I think that it's awesome that you are actually meeting with some other mayors and that they can actually pour into you and give you some information because it's important. We're working on neighborhood slow zones. We're going to have four neighborhoods as a pilot program where we're going to reduce the um, – traffic to 20 miles an hour so 20 is plenty well the mayor in denver shared with me their whole study they spent a lot of money on this big study but what it did is it showed all these creative ways to do different things not only by lowering but different besides just speed humps you know creative ways for traffic calming and other things you know art on asphalt By painting and stuff, you create this sense that i got to slow down. So the creative ways to do things in different pockets without impeding emergency vehicles or creating headaches for everybody else, but a way to address it. So we got a playbook to build off of. Right. Well, that's good stuff. Mayor, I have truly enjoyed talking with you. We are hitting our end point here. We'd definitely love to have you back at some other point in time. Anytime. Be glad to be a a guest anytime. Well, I definitely appreciate it. Um, This is Pressure Points Unpacked. I'm your host, Tyra Little. Next week, we will have Councilwoman Tina Herbert on the show. She will be on live. So make sure that you tune in and, again, send in any questions that you may have for 
Councilwoman Tina Herbert. So again, I thank you, Mayor. Is there anything else that you want to say to the community? Hey, if, if anything comes, anything we can do to help you, please reach out to our office, 803-545-3075, mayor at columbiasc.gov if you want to email. Cell phone is 803-920-9541. If I don't answer, send a text. We'll call you back. All righty. Thank you so much. It's already.